Friends, we are exploring Lakota Sikhs, volume 17, Pirke Avos, Perikshishi, chapter 6. Rabbi Meir taught whoever occupies himself with Torah for its own sake alone will merit many things, and he gives a whole list. And the Rebbe asks a very strong and obvious question. If one is learning Torah for its own sake, lishma, that means they're not looking for anything in return. He's not looking for a reward. So why does Rebbe Meir say, you know what, if you're learning Torah for its own sake, you're going to get all of these things. You just ruined it for the guy. You just ruined it. If he's learning Torah for its own sake, he doesn't want anything. And if he takes you serious, and now he says, oh, wow, I'm going to get all these things. I'm really going to learn Torah for its own sake. You just killed it. It's no longer for its own sake. It's a reminder of, it reminds me of the good old Jewish joke that uh, the shul was looking to hire a rabbi. So they set up a committee and they told the committee to look for all the things that uh, Yisro, Moses' father-in-law, um, uh, suggested one needs to be in order to be a proper Jewish leader or judge. You know, you have to be God-fearing and you have to be uh, a... a, a people of strong character, on Chayo, et cetera. And then it says, people who hate money, they despise money. The committee comes back to the uh, synagogue board and says, we found the rabbis that fit all of the descriptions, except for that one. We can't find anyone who hates money. So they said, we're not going to settle. Go back and look for the right price. You'll find that too. It's a contradiction in terms. So what's this whole mission about? This is a fantastic question. Very simple, straightforward question. So the Rebbe first attempts to give an explanation to say that this Mishnah might be similar to Rambam, where Rambam discusses the general principle of reward. We know that if you look at Torah and the portion of Bechuk which we just read last Shabbos, it gives us a list of things that you will get reward for following Torah. But the simple question is, says Rambam, we're not supposed to do mitzvahs for the sake of reward. It happens to be that that's a chapter one of Perkei Avos. We're supposed to do mitzvahs just because God said so. So why would the Torah promise us all these rewards? In addition to the fact that no physical blessings can be a reward for mitzvahs because everything in this world is limited, even if you live 120 years of perfection, whereas each mitzvah is of infinite value. So really there's no way to reward a person in this world anyway. The reward is anyway in the afterlife or, or in the lifetime of Mashiach and resurrection. But beyond that, why would Torah be promising rewards? Take a look at the Chumash. If you'll do the mitzvah, I'll give you your rain in the season. I'll give you peace. I'll give you blessings. I'll give you everything good. Well, we're not supposed to do mitzvahs for the sake of it. That's Rambam's question on the Torah. And Rambam explains that this is not really reward. This is saying that Hashem is promising that if we're going to do mitzvahs, why are we doing it? For its own sake. I will make life easier for you so you could do more mitzvahs and study more time. That type of reward, which is really a benefit, which it helps the person be a better servant of Hashem, that's absolutely welcome, even but to the great servant of Hashem, because he wants to be able to do more. So the Rebbe says, maybe that's the pshat in this Mishnah. But Meir says, if you occupy yourself in Torah for its own sake, Shem is going to give you all kinds of things, and all of them will make your life easier so that you can study more Torah for its own sake. So this is not really a reward system. This is an enhancement to make life better. So the Rebbe says, if that's the explanation in the mission, that would only explain a few of the things on the list. Namely, those things that make life materially easier. So for example, I, I underlined some of them. 
you're going to be known as a lover of humanity and rejoicer of humanity. People will enjoy counsel and wisdom. So people will, will like you and make your life easier and help you and assist you and support you. You'll have sovereignty and dominion, which represents that you'll have influence. So that means you probably have financial comfort. You'll be uplifted and exalted of all creations. So all these things denote a place of status, which arguably will help the person be able to have the freedom of uh, no headaches so they can sit and study Torah. Plus, if we want, says the Rebbe in a footnote, we can add a few more, which is other things that are underlined, which are not things that necessarily make your life uh, materially comfortable, but they will add to your Torah knowledge, which clearly a person who studies Torah uh, for its own sake is happy to hear. As an example, jurisprudence, you'll understand the law, and you'll have the secrets of Torah revealed to you, and it'll become an ever increasing wellspring and unceasing river of knowledge. That's not a reward. That's not like an outside the bribe. That means you'll be successful in Torah study. So those are all the underlined items. We can somehow fit it in to explaining this Mishnah along the lines of the way Rambam explains the rewards of Torah. But what about the rest of the list? It's not even half the list. There's so many other things on this list which have nothing to do with the above two forms of, of slash reward slash enhancement, namely either, you know, giving you security, financial, and otherwise so you don't have to worry about anything, and B, giving you more knowledge of Torah. What about the other stuff? So therefore, we're back to the drawing board, says the Rebbe, we have to come up with another explanation for this Mishnah. And the question is a tough one. The mayor says the guy is learning Torah for its own sake. What does that mean? He's not interested in any rewards, just to connect to Hashem. Why would Rabbi Meir promise him all these rewards? Good question. So the Rebbe explains this in a fantastic way. You hate to give adjectives to say that a sikha is fantastic because what do we know about a sikha? They're all fantastic. But this is a sikha that uh, even to little me seems obvious that it's fantastic because it fits so beautifully the Rebbe's explanation and it comes alive. Suddenly a Mishnah, which I always read without, uh, you know, giving it much thought. It's wow. But Rebbe says, let me tell you what Rameer is really saying here. Rameer is saying a person, but before we do that, let's take a closer look at some of the nuances, says the Rebbe, in the Mishnah. And the nuances that the Rebbe focuses in on are the things that I bolded. The underlines are the things that uh, were re referenced earlier in the Rebbe's proposed answer, which the Rebbe then sort of rejects. But the bolds are the things that the Rebbe looks at and says, let's take a closer look and understand there's a diok, there's a problematic, uh, a seemingly problematic aspect to them, which needs to be analyzed. First of all, what does it mean occupies himself with Torah? That doesn't just mean Torah study. What's the message there? And what does it mean he merits? Why doesn't it say straightforward reward? Next paragraph, a lover of God, lover of humanity. The person is just busy studying Torah and they automatically become a lover of God and a lover of humanity. And these are projects within and of themselves. We know that to develop a love for Hashem, Ramah tells us, what's the path to that? You have to study a lot of God's greatness and meditate in it. It doesn't just come as a byproduct of studying Torah. It has its own project. The same thing, love of Avas Yisrael, 
You're just going to get it, by the way. It takes a tremendous amount of focus and work to, to develop that huge mitzvah. Arguably the most important mitzvah. How do you develop a love for Jews? <laughs> the tremendous thing, a person who has Abbas Yisrael, let alone a love for all of humanity. And this person just getting it, by the way? Like, what does it have to do with the study of Torah? Is this like magic? Then it says, the Torah enclothes him, makes him fit. Enclothes him with humility and awe, makes him fit to be righteous, distance him from sin, close to merit. These are qualifications. It doesn't quite give him humility and awe. It enclothes him, which denotes that he gets like an aura. He, he gets surrounded. He's almost humble and, and in awe of Hashem, but not quite. He's just like in that space. He's fit to be righteous and pious. Not that, why don't you just say he becomes righteous and pious? He becomes fit. It's like not quite. What are these qualifications? It distances him from sin and brings him close to marriage. Why don't you just say it keeps him from sin and brings him to mitzvahs? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't keep him away from sin. For that, you have to have, uh, it, that's not what it's saying. It seems to qualify. It distances him from sin. But he can still get there if he wants to go the distance. It brings him close to merit, but he's not there. Why? What's the Mishnah teaching us? People enjoy his counsel. Why doesn't it just say people will get from him good counsel? Incidentally, this is a very well-known refrain that we say about people who are wise and, uh, and, 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 and they're known for their good counsel. Often great great Torah scholars or great tzaddikim who tend to have wisdom in the real world. So the language is in Hebrew, and it's a, it comes from this Mishnah. People will enjoy from them counsel and wisdom. And you'll see it often on the tombstone of somebody who is an activist in the community and, 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 and benefited people with their counsel. But why does it use that word, nanin, benefit, enjoy? Why don't you say people got counsel? What is it, being poetic? And then at the bottom of the screen, the end of the Mishnah, He's forgiving of insults. The person becomes forgiving of insults. That's not a very high level. It's a much higher level. You're talking about a person who's learning Torah for its own sake. He's like, ashtikal tzaddik. He shouldn't feel insults. How can I be insulted? He's totally humble. There's no way to insult him. Here it doesn't say that. He's forgiving of insults. That means he hears the insult. He's insulted, but he forgives. Why is Rabbi Meir limiting the person? What's his point? And then finally, the last nuance the Rebbe focuses in on is the last line of the Mishnah. Uplifts him and exalts him over all creations. It's a duplication. Uplift and exalt. Again, are we trying to be poetic? So the Rebbe says, I'm going to answer all these questions in one swoop. Again, what are the questions? Hey, what's the big question? What does Rebbe Mayer say? That a person who's studying Torah for its own sake will get all these things. He's not looking for anything. He's not looking for any reward. So what is the purpose of this whole Mishnah? And then to explain all of the nuances that we discussed. Says the Rebbe, the person who occupies himself at Torah study for its own sake, what does it mean, occupies? It doesn't just say study. Occupy means this is all they do. This is their full occupation. It denotes a person who every free moment they're studying Torah. They're occupied. It's almost like Torah si um nasi. Not just they study Torah a little bit and they do other things. 
They have free time. They're studying Torah. They got tunnel vision, and they're doing it for its own sake, just to connect to Hashem. They're not studying Torah just so it should make them a better person, or so they should know the laws. Now, clearly, they, they study the things that they have to do in order to know the laws because they're a Torah Jew. They're going to follow mitzvahs. But once they know what they have to do, their focus on Torah study is just for its own sake. They're not studying it to uh, to gain knowledge in how to practically uh, 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 be a better Jew. They're not studying it in order to refine them. They're not studying it for personal application, to make them more of a servant of Hashem, make them more God-fearing, make them more loving of others, make them more humble. They're just studying it, and they couldn't care less what subject. They could study things that are not relevant. They're studying the laws of purity and impurity in temple days, which are not relevant to them on a practical level, not relevant to them necessarily on a personal level, on a on a self-betterment, nothing. They couldn't care less about any of these things. They are occupied, which means they are tunnel vision to study Torah for its own sake. All they care about is to be close to Hashem, which is what Torah study does. Period. End of story. That's a wonderful thing. It's a problem. There are other values that are really important in Judaism. The Rebbe lists a few of them. It's a mitzvah to develop a love and fear of Hashem. Abbas Hashem and Yiris Hashem. Love of God and of God. That means to develop an emotional attachment. What happens with that? This person's got tunnel vision. They're occupied only in this. It's also a mitzvah to have a love for your fellow Jew. Which means an emotional connection and respect for the fellow Jews and in some sense all of humanity. What happens to that? Number three, it's a mitzvah to make an impact and help and assist in other people. You can't just be busy with your own Torah study and nobody else matters. Let the whole world mind its own business. Part of Judaism is gemilus chasadim, making a contribution for other people's life, making a difference to people's life. This guy's busy studying Torah full time. Whenever he's not doing a mitzvah that he's obligated to do, absolutely, he's busy with Torah. So when's he going to do the mitzvah of gemilus chasadim, of helping others and making a difference in the world? That's a Jewish value that's important. And the Rebbe discusses one more, fourth value. And that is character refinement. Rambam, which we just finished learning at the beginning of the new cycle, has an entire section of laws called Hilchos Deus, laws of character traits. It's a mitzvah in Torah, it's part of Judaism, to refine your character. Be humble, to be patient, to be kind, to be modest, to be forgiving. This is part of Judaism. None of this matters. To quote elsewhere in the Talmud, says the Rebbe, one who says, all I have is Torah, I don't have Torah either. Torah is very important, but it's not the only thing. For this person, it's the only thing. He's occupied in it. And for its own sake, that means he's not even learning parts of Torah that are like Chassidus and Musr, which make you a better person. Or this one makes you a kinder person. No. So what happens with all of these values? This is an issue. Says Rabbi Meir, if that's what your life is about, that you're totally dedicated, you just want to be close to Hashem through Torah study, which is the greatest closeness, as per Tanya Perikhei, chapter 5, he will merit many things. 
doesn't say it will be rewarded. Reward doesn't talk to this person. He's not interested in reward. He's interested in Hashem. But he will merit. He'll have a side benefit of other things, and these are not unimportant things. They're not rewards. They're merits. They're self-refinements. What's the Hebrew word for merit? Zolche. Zechut means to refine. They will merit. They will refine him in many other ways as a byproduct of his Torah study. And therefore, in the end of the day, to a great degree, he will be lacking nothing. None of the above. Is this not brilliant? And the Rebbe goes through it. The person will be a lover of God and love of humanity and rejoicer of God, rejoicer of humanity. Remember, these are all important values. Abbas Hashem. Abbas Yisrael. We talked about character, humility, modesty, patience, forgiving of insults. We, uh, you talk about Yiddish uh, Hashem, um, uh, it's in the awe. And he's righteous and he's pious and he's faithful. And he's, uh, and he's removed from sin and he's close to mitzvahs, etc. He has to make an impact on the world. People will have counsel and wisdom from him. So maybe he's not out there uh, making a lot of money and giving a lot of tzedakah and benefiting the world in that way with straightforward gemilas chasadim, but people were benefiting from his counsel. Somehow, even though his whole world is Torah, if you know enough Torah, you're going to end up being wise and, and people will come to you for counsel in day-to-day -day life. How? That's the way God made it. It's counterintuitive, but that's how it is. People get their best practical advice from, from the Rebbe. Or really from any person whose life is Torah, you can get sometimes their best practical advice even though the person is not involved in that realm. So the person here is making a difference in the world. That's what Ramir is saying. He's not bribing this person with rewards. The person is not bribable. They're not interested in rewards. He's telling the person it's not a bad idea. Your friends are probably poo-pooing you. Your whole life is Torah. Divvy it up. Spend some time in Torah study. Spend some time in, uh, in self-betterment. Spend some time in communal activities. Spend some time in this, that, and the other. But Mary says, no, if you're really up to this task where you're going to be tunnel vision on Torah, you will, in some fashion, cover all the rest. Some of it quite literally, and some of it good enough. Which then further explains the rest of the nuances. So let's go through them. Lover of God, lover of humanity. We said, how are you going to have this? These are separate projects and separate mitzvahs. Yeah. If you study enough Torah, you really love Hashem. And that's why you're studying Torah, because you want to be close to Hashem and nothing else matters to you. You're going to end up loving Hashem. That's what your life is about. You'll end up loving humanity. The language is Bria, is creatures. Everyone doesn't even say a Jew. If they're created by God, you care about them because you care about God. So automatically, you're sort of going to get this huge level of Abbas Hashem and Abbas Yisrael, even Abbas Hasabrius, love of, of all of humanity, as a byproduct of being a person whose whole life is Torah study. Because that's his passion. He wants to cleave to God. So automatically, anything that's godly, he'll develop a love for. But Mary is calming him down. Don't worry. You're not going to become a hermit. and You're not going to become a bad person. You're going to become a good person. Then it says, remember the qualifications. It enclothes him with humility and all. 
It makes him fit to be righteous and pious and correct and faithful. Distance him from sin and reason, close to merit. The Rebbe says, yeah, these qualifications are true. They're pointing out that in the end of the day, there's no magic. You're not going to become the most humble person if you didn't spend time working on humility. Humility is its own midah, its own separate project. On Yiddish Hashem, or of God, doesn't happen in a second. It's a project. But you have no time for it because you're busy studying Torah for its own sake. You'll get these at least in a fashion of enclosed, at least in a, a fashion that your world will be an aura of humility and awe. You'll have an, you'll, it's, it's good enough. It's good enough. You're not going to be the most humble person on the face of the earth. But you're certainly not going to be arrogant. You'll be fine. I'm not going to say that you're going to be totally righteous, but you'll be fit to be righteous. Close enough. I'm not sure you're never going to be tempted to sin because you didn't work on that whole concept of fear of sin. It's its own project. And that you're always running to a mitzvah because you haven't worked on that. But you'll be distant from sin. Who has time for sin? You'll be running to mitzvah because what else interests you? So even though you didn't fully develop those separate skills, but you'll have them close enough. Sin? Eh, something in the distance. Maybe you're capable of it, but it's not your interest at all. And the same thing with the mitzvah. And that's what the qualifications are there for. To make the point that this person is getting these byproducts, by the way, as a fringe benefit, and therefore some of them are not going to be 100%, but good enough. Fantastic. This cracks me up. How brilliant. People will enjoy counsel and wisdom. Again, the point being, remember, we're trying to explain to this person that you have as a yid, you know, it's a mitzvah to make a difference, to benefit others, not just to give off counsel, but that that counsel should be beneficial. Because that's the way you're going to do, make your contribution. And that's your gemilas chasadim. That's what you give. That's your, that's your payback to the world, which is a Jewish value, an important one. Yeah, he's not just going to have counsel and wisdom. People will enjoy counsel and wisdom, meaning his counsel and wisdom will be beneficial. It's going to make, oh, how will it make a difference in a good way? The next nuance, forgiving of insults. Yeah, same idea as, uh, as the humility and the awe. To come to a place where you don't feel any insults, that takes a lot of work. You know, that's a level. It's a high madrega. I don't know what it is. There's no ego. You totally buckle. I don't know what, what that means even. But to come to a place where I heard the insult, but I really don't care. You have it from becoming obsessed with Torah study. You're just too busy. You're too focused. You're too interested in something better. So, so insult, no. The insult is there and you hear it, but eh. And finally, the last line, it says so much. The Rebbe questioned the duplication, the double language, uplift and exalt. So the Rebbe, they don't mean the same thing. When you say someone is uplifted, that means they are just a step above, but they're connected to those below them. When you say exalted, that means they're totally removed. Says the Rebbe, this last line spells out the personality of this person. On the one hand, they're a person of Torah study. They're exalted. They're not involved. They couldn't kill us about the politics. They probably don't know a lot about business and investments. They're exalted. They're in their own world. At the same time, they'll also be uplifted. Translation, they will also be connected and, and just one step above the rest of the world and therefore be able to benefit and uplift the world as poor they are for mention. 
And with this, the Rebbe explains all the nuances and of course explains in a gorgeous fashion the entire mission. This is not a reward. This is not somebody that's looking for a bribe, for a side benefit at all. All they want is to study Torah and which really means to be one with Hashem. But the other values in Yiddishkeit, which are important, they will get that too. I want to point out that at the end of the Sikhet, the Rebbe mentions that um, the Rebbe mentions that even though this is a very high level, to study Torah for its own sake, it's a high level. In some fashion, everybody is able to achieve it. And the Rebbe says that's why this is chapter 6 of Pirkei Avos, which is always read right before Shavuos, which you're giving it a Torah. And it's the first Mishnah. It's not somewhere buried in the middle of the Perik. It's number one. Because it's the really introduction to Shavuos, which is what Shavuos, Nasev and Ishmael, but the Jews just accept, which really means Lishma, I'm studying Torah just for God. And really on some level, and in a real way, every single Jew could study Torah Lishma on, on some level. It's connected to this concept of Torah Lishma, says the Rebbe. And if you've studied enough of the Rebbe's Sikhs and Mamarim, you know that the Rebbe is always teaching us that every level of Abedis Hashem, which normally we think of as the level of a tzaddik, the Rebbe is gifting it to every single Jew. The Rebbe talks about, you know, you know, the highest levels of love and the highest level of tshuva, the highest levels of fear, the highest level of appreciation of bitl, of Yehuda ilah, where one sees no world. And the Rebbe affords it to every single yid. Well, yeah, a person has to learn a lot of sikhs and chassidists to understand it, but my understanding of it generally is that the Rebbe is saying that we're a very basic level generation, but we're connected to a giant Rebbe. And by that, by tribute of our connection, and following his instructions without asking too many questions, but being foot soldiers, so we're connected. You know, the foot is on the head of, on the level of the head. The head understands it, but the foot goes along. And the Rebbe also explains it in many sikhs that, you know, our simple Kabbalah sale, our simple commitment with our understanding, mirrors the highest levels of Bittal. It's not the discussion of this Sikha, but I'm just making a point that the Rebbe often, and does it here too, takes this level of Torah for its own sake and says that everyone is, has it on a basic level, obviously. We're not going to convince ourselves that we're tzaddikim. But the Rebbe affords it to us and, and empowers us to live this Mishnah too. So by extension of this little piece, this is the end of the Sikha. It's not such a little piece. It's two pages. It's a page where the Rebbe says that this sikh and this message is to all Yidin in this generation, all is chassidim and all Yidin. So here's what I think the Rebbe is saying. And I often see this in the closing of the sikhs where the lessons seem so simple and benign and they are really mind-blowing. I believe humbly that this sikh is a huge fundamental message of the Rebbe's approach. Namely, the Rebbe talks to our generation and says, listen here, spend less time focusing on all the nuances of what's happening internally of your service of Hashem. Are you truly God-fearing? Are you truly afraid of sin? Are you truly have a love of a God? Do you have real love of another Jew? Or is the ulterior motive? Testing yourself and figuring out where you're holding, the Rebbe didn't go for this. The Rebbe did not promote this, and the Rebbe discouraged this self-evaluation as a distraction and a waste of time, primarily because A, we're not on that level, and B, 
We have a job to do. We're soldiers. We have a big Rebbe. We have a big head. We got to be defeated. You got to keep marching. And one of the ways that Rebbe said to march, and one of the primary ways, is to be busy with Torah study whenever there's a free moment. And if you're going to say, where do I get this from to put this into this sicha? Because the Rebbe has a footnote. I think it's footnote 18, where the Rebbe alludes to the famous Gemara that when one of the greatest sages of Yochanan ben Zaki was on his deathbed, he was crying, says the Rebbe. It's in the footnote 18. His student said, why are you crying? So he said, I don't know where I'm going to go, up or down. So they said, what do you mean? You're a tzaddik. He lived 120 years. He lived a perfect life. Compared to, to Rabbi Moshe Rabbeinu himself. So the Rebbe explains, how could he not know where he's going? He knew that he, he, he was perfect in all areas of Judaism, on the highest level. So the Rebbe explains because he was so dedicated to, to Torah and to spreading Yiddishkeit that he didn't take the time to look in the mirror and figure out what's happening internally with his, with his subconscious level of how pure is he and how refined is he, et cetera, et cetera, and to develop his midas and all that. He had no time for it. He was busy every single moment of life, serving Hashem, pulling the trigger, teaching, learning, helping, spreading Torah. Now he's on his deathbed where he has no more to do anything else. So he looks in the mirror and says, you know what? I, I neglected, and I don't know that he regretted it, because this was what he believed. You got to serve Hashem, just be busy. It was time to sit and take pick apart your own midos when there's work to do, when there's Torah to be taught. Now that he couldn't do anything else, he said, you know, but at the end of the day, maybe. I'm not so perfectly pure on the inside. So now he cried. That maybe at the end of the day, I'm going to have to go through some purification. The Rebbe said a famous discourse on this topic. It's from Parshish Mishpat in Tafshin Yud Beis, 1952. The And this became a famous mimer, one of the very famous discourses of the Rebbe. It is said that some of the older Hasidim, who were much older than the Rebbe, who saw the previous Rebbe and even the Rebbe Rashab, this mimer like shook them up, but they realized, and they made them into a chassid. The Rebbe was crying tremendously and banging on the table. And the message of the mimer was fundamental. The Rebbe, this is only one year after accepting the leadership. And the Rebbe was basically saying, listen, the Rebbe was screaming, you're going to sit and focus, do you love Hashem, fear of Hashem? You have a job to do. There isn't a moment to be focused on yourself. And this is very much the theme of the Rebbe's leadership. Again, each one of us can decide why that is. My the personal opinion is that we're not really capable of these levels, and it's not our job. We're the foot soldiers. We're the ikvas of the Mashiach, the heel. We're the last generation. If the heel starts analyzing its emotional status, it's going to be very confused. The heel knows a healthy heel marches along with the rest of the body, with the head. That's our job, which goes along with the whole thing of Mephtoyim and Shlichas. In the context back to this Sikha, just want to tell you one more story that brings this home, that there's an older chassid by the name of Rabbi Beryl Shemtiv, who should be well. And I heard this from him and from others. The same thing happened with a few people. But this I heard from him himself, that when his first yechidus, he was a bacher, uh, a, a bacher, he was already an older bacher. This is, I believe, 1953. When he first came to New York, his first yechidus, I could have my dates wrong a little and he was an older Bach. He was like 18 years old, apparently, at the time. It was a Chassidish And he was doing what a Bach does, learning and davening. And he came to New York, and he's going to have his first Yechidus. The family, I believe, was living in England. And he finally came. 
And he took Yechidus very seriously. He was raised by Hasidim. Before Yechidus, you make preparations and you bear your whole soul. He asked for a tikkun, etc. And that's what his note was full of all kind of personal issues. Of, of Do I really love Hashem? Do I really uh, care about another year? Do I really uh, have the full emunah? I don't know, all kind of personal stuff, which would be what you expected a chassa to write about in prior generations. He puts the note to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe looked at him, and the Rebbe asked him, again, don't quote me exactly on the words, but basically you're going to go the next day or two days later, he was traveling on an airplane to go home for Yontif. I guess it was Pesach. So the Rebbe says, when you fly home, you're going to, you're going to fly over the ocean. I want you to take the Marashcheda, the melancholy, and drop it into the ocean. And this was his first Shalom Aleichem of the Rebbe. This whole business says that it doesn't interest me. Your feelings, tell me what you're going to do and do a little more. That's what I want to know. And the Rebbe did this through Mephzayim and Shlichus, but also through Limadatayda. One of the things that Rebbe kept demanding by almost every Fabrayan, he asked somebody, what did the Rebbe speak about by every single Fabrayan? Of course, Mashiach, that was every Sikha. And to Adam, Mephzayim was mentioned pretty much by every Fabrayan. And the Rebbe would often demand that people should, should attend Fabrengans, Hasidish Fabrengans, which is interesting. And the Rebbe would very often also demand to add, increase in Limitatayda, which is the theme of this Sikh. And it was very confusing to people. How could you keep adding? This is what the Rebbe would say. This is the bottom line takeaway of a certain Fabrengan, of a certain important day. To add on Limitatayda. The next week, to add on Limitatayda. The next week, to add. I heard that there was a young chassid then who took it very seriously. And each time the Rebbe said that, he added another five minutes, which meant he kept uh, this, he kept uh, taking away from his sleep until he had no time to sleep. So he wrote to the Rebbe, or he had a yechidus, and in his note, he wrote to the Rebbe that this is what's going on. He, he, he's done. Sleep is over. So the way I heard the story, that the Rebbe laughed. He like cracked the Rebbe up. And the Rebbe said that you can add qualitatively. I want to just suggest that the Rebbe is demanding that because I think the Rebbe is basically saying, I don't want you to have any free time. Add. If you have free time, add. There's no time for just nonsense. There's no time for looking for hobbies. We're living in a time where, where we work a lot less in terms of hard work and in terms of time than prior generations. Go back even 100 years, people were working with hands and sweating with their brows. Today, by comparison, we're all uh, unemployed. We're all retired. By comparison. And there's so much free time, and et cetera, et cetera. And that's what makes us Michigan. And that's what causes all of the issues and depression and sadness and et cetera. And I'm worried about myself and how am I doing and I'm judging myself. None of this is important. And all of this is a distraction and a waste of time. The biggest enemy is self. I'm not talking about, of course, God forbid, clinical depression and issues. This is medicine like any other medical issue. Talking about when we make ourselves Michigan. And the Rebbe told this to people a hundred times in Yechidison and private notes that this is just nonsense. Get past it. And how? You're busy. Who has time? I tell to people in my Kabbalahs all the time the only way the Yitzhahara could get in is through the mind. If the mind is busy, you can't get it. The mind is busy, the mind is not available. So they never put on us Rambam and say for our mitzvahs and chitas and then you have to learn saita and then you have to add and you have to add and you have to have, of course, a shirk of on a daily basis. And it doesn't end. When does it end? When you have no more time. So I want to translate, and I believe this firmly, that this is what the sikha means. This is all, again, my own 
interpretation, but I believe because the Rebbe says it in that footnote, alluding to that mimer, which the Rebbe said to everybody, that this is the approach of our generation. You have no time to waste time on that self-analysis. And also, because the Rebbe says in the last sip, the last page of the Sikha, finding that this title lishma, this lofty level, is really everybody's. Gifted to us by the Nasi Hadar, obviously on our level. Translation, the Rebbe says in the Sikha, Rabbi Meir teaches us, study Torah lishma. Translation, just study Torah. Why? Because you want to be close to Hashem. Doesn't matter what subject, doesn't matter what you'll gain from it and how it will make you better or worse. It doesn't matter. You're just connecting to Hashem. You have the time that's at your at, at, at your disposal. You're learning Torah. You're not looking only learning things that will teach you what you need to know. Or will you know to take to focus on the self-betterment of certain meadows and certain areas to make you humble and make you God-fearing. No, you're just busy. You're a servant of Hashem. What about all these other things? You'll have them. As we discussed earlier, you'll have them fully, you'll have them halfway, you'll have them a little. Good enough. You're not going to have time for sin. You're going to be too busy. You're not going to have time to worry about somebody insulted you when you became, and you, and you were, and you were insulted. Yeah, you're busy. You got more important stuff to do. Okay, 